On today's show, part one of a two-part look back at the Donovan Mitchell trade. Basically, related, we're starting this a day before that trade officially went down, but it's been a year of Donovan Mitchell. Today is going to be all about what do we think of the trade a year later and some other Mitchell-y topics. Let's dive in. You are Locked On Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. The music you heard on the way in is from our friends at Astro Radio. I am Chris Manning. That is Evan Damerel. We are the Lockdown Cavs podcast. As always, we have Jake Stevens on the back end of production. As I said at the top, two-part Donovan Mitchell retrospective, look-ahead, prediction, crystal ball, all of it uh, today and then on Friday to get you into the Labor Day weekend. So about a month away from things really kicking off with the Cavs, but about a year ago, Today, as you're listening to this, 364 days, not quite 365, but for our purposes, it's been a year of Donovan Mitchell. So Evan, I want to start with this question. How do you think of this trade now versus versus how you thought of it a year ago when this actually went down? So when this trade went down, uh, I was 29. I was young, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, for sure. Uh, I was on the golf course, actually. Much like Donovan Mitchell when it, it first happened, and there was a there was a ton of shock that went with it. I think, obviously, everyone was scrambling to maybe figure out who was on their way out of Cleveland, on their way for Donovan Mitchell to come back in, and the fact that that they didn't have to really rock the boat or shake up their core foundation of Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, and Jared Allen was a huge win. And then after maybe the shock of the trade happens and then, you know, the, the natural excitement that comes with it, we, we spoke with Martin Rickman at length about it when the trade first happened. And um, we were all kind of just stunned. Uh, we didn't really know how to process it because because the Cavs made a, a definitive statement saying like, hey, we are coming uh, and we're coming to take full control of the Eastern Conference as other teams age out, maybe not Boston, but other teams. And the the Cavs made a serious power move in order to uh, just kind of really set the foundation of that. Now we we saw how the first year with Mitchell went, and we definitely had our questions at the time. But I, I definitely remember I was just stunned uh, that the Cavs were able to pull it off. Because let's be frank, we all thought he was going to be a New York Nick, and Donovan even thought so as well when he was introduced as a Cavalier for the first time. Like Cleveland was just kind of like that quiet, opportunistic option, and it just kind of fell into place uh what 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 was your initial thought about it a year ago well no so the way i asked it was like Uh, how do you think of it differently now oh differently now uh just yeah well yeah i mean considering what the Cavs gave up and i've said this a lot um just all throughout last season and i i definitely still feel this way now like the Cavs. Certainly gave up a lot in terms of just draft compensation. Uh, people will point to Larry Markinen blossoming and probably, but just more so playing power forward and being the number one option for what ultimately wasn't a great jazz team. And then Colin Sexton bouncing back health wise and Ochai Baji being a role player. Like those are all great things. Um, I, the Cavs paid the price for a superstar level player and they more than enough paid for it. I, th- I think maybe just based on some of the regular season returns from Mitchell at points, you're like, oh, maybe the Cavs didn't give up enough for Donovan Mitchell. But 
I I just think like, wow, um, when you look at it, like it's been a year, like the Cavs made like a legitimate move to be a power player in the Eastern Conference and a lot of things fell into place sooner than expected. I think the fit between Mitchell and Garland just working itself out a lot sooner was a very pleasant surprise. And now you just look at it, you're thinking like there's a lot of unlimited untapped potential to what this team can be now that there's a year or at least rather we're a year removed from him first joining the Cavs. And now like, of course, expectations have changed, but uh, there's a lot of just solid positive foundation for growth long-term. I think I, I think for me a year later, it's hard to separate this a little bit from the playoff stuff of this. Mm -hmm. Like ultimately you didn't get that much farther with Mitchell, even though you were definitely a much better regular season team. I, I think in a lot of ways, than you did the year before. Like you, you were a top four seed in the East when you were in the playing tournament year before. I understand the year before at injuries, you weren't that much better. And you, I think you'd still do this trade again. Like this is a really good player. You just got him for the best well, of his career. We're going to talk about that. I think. I, I think. I think, I, I think. It's just hard to separate this from the playoff stuff because that is the lasting taste. That is the lasting bitterness in the mouth, the cloudiness of how good this team actually is. The question about this team, it all stems from that. And he wasn't good in that series. So I, to me, it's like, yes, you do it again. He's a great player. There's no question. There's also this lingering kind of bad energy because of how the playoffs went. I think that's a fair assessment. Like if it, it's a cloud hanging over, just like looking at this, uh, a year removed, like, yeah, there, there is a certain onus that, which comes with um, the Cavs acquiring Mitchell the way they did but I look at it from the lens of you are able to make like a tangible upgrade and grab a top five player disposition maybe a top 15 a top 20 player overall in the NBA depending on how you feel about him and again like I laid out like yeah Larry Markkinen had a great year for the Jazz as the number one option but in the grand scheme of things the Cavs did pay the price for superstar player and players like that don't become available readily like right now it's Damian Lillard is like the the latest hot name that's available but there's only one team that can really go after him so yeah I like I don't I, I just kind of like it gives me trepidation just to say like would the Cavs do this trade again like yeah 10 times out of 10 they would do it again because superstar players don't become available often and if you're able to talk shop and make the move to acquire him you do it then you figure out the pieces as you go after that yeah, I am curious. Just I, there's a lot of questions I think about where this goes, but I think there's that's, there's that's, just that's valid. Like there's a lot of long term questions about what happens from here. But like just from the vet through the lens and in the vacuum of just like acquiring a superstar, like you you don't hesitate to do that. I think there's also just the reality that a year in, you're not a hundred percent under totally understanding the the tentacles, the ramifications of a trade like this. You don't know what those picks are going to be. Those are a mystery box still. We don't know what how long Mitchell will be in Cleveland. Like that that is all things to be determined. Like for us to fully like grade a trade, I always I always sort of like I get why you do them and I think there is a exercise to be done in them. I don't think like instant trade grades are ever like that reflective because you need to see like if they win, like if Donovan Mitchell helps the Cavs like make a conference finals or two, if they make a finals here or there, if you get the best of his career and you win a lot of basketball games and it accelerates your franchise, like that can get you into a really good spot. 
and the trade will feel differently. This has been one mm-hmm. year, and it just happened to th- that first year happened to end in a really disappointing way. And I, I don't think there's any way around that. So I, th- I think like, yeah, you do it again. I think the cost is a lot, and I'm curious to see how we look like that once the picks come. And that's obviously a long term kind of thought exercise here. But I also think it's just it's impossible to fully know what this is until we see what the end is or like if they can exceed what they just did. And I think their expectation should be mm-hmm. exceed what you just did and with year one of Donovan Mitchell. I mean, it'd be massively disappointing, especially considering the offseason Cleveland had to maybe prove to Donovan Mitchell that they're committed to building a winner and more so uh, just proving to this team that they can be like legitimate force in the Eastern Conference with Donovan Mitchell as probably one of the best, if not the best player within that like core four, whatever you want to call it. Um, I mean, it's not a core four. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, just this is a, that's a whole other episode. We need to I stop know. saying core four. It like it's not Jared Allen's not part of the core in that way. He's not in that in that way. Yes. Um, but there, there's ways to unpack it. And like you said, if the, the Cavs come out and they have a very similar season and I think it's reasonable to maybe expect like either an improvement or maybe like even like a bit of a regression at the Cavs are focused more on the playoffs versus regular season success. Um, there's a lot of ways the season can go like they, they didn't get the fortune of maybe a cupcake start to the season like it, it's two tough bookends with like a lot of just like weird trips in between it as well so um i'm interested to see how this evolves i think like you said like uh, there's a lot more questions and maybe there are answers of what this team could be just because there's that bitter pill of an early regular season exit or sorry postseason exit and now you have to like kind of unpack like okay what can this team be and a lot of it is speculative speculative but at least on paper, heading into the season, this team should be better. Uh, they may not be record-wise. Maybe they are a couple games below what they were last year. But if they're able to make legitimate postseason success this year, like, yeah, that, that gives us a clearer picture of it. And I think that's the, just the frustrating part that comes with the Cavs exiting so early. And maybe just, like, in terms of the, through the lens of, like, a Donovan Mitchell, like, gives you the reason to question, like, uh, what is he long-term? Because he fell flat for the second year in a row in the postseason. And it was uh, definitely discouraging just considering like the body of, of work and success that he had leading up to that uh, postseason flop against New York. All right. Coming up in segment two, let's look back at year one of Mitchell, uh, because as much as maybe it ended badly, he had just a downright fantastic season. We'll talk about that coming up next. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. FanDuel is about to kick off with football season, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. That means if you just pick any team to win the Super Bowl with a futures bet, you'll get bonus bets for every victory. So let's say you wanted to pick the Browns. They're plus 3,000. If they win the Super Bowl, they win 10 games. 10 bonus bets. Pick the Chiefs. They win 13, 14 games. You get 13 or 14 bonus bets, depending on how many games they win. So, like, just don't bet on the Cardinals. You'll probably get some bonus bets. You can use those bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So, visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and start this today. FanDuel is the official sports book of Locked On. All right, back here on Locked On Cavs. Chris Manning and Evan Dermo with you. All right, so, look. 
full stop, everything we just said about Mitchell and the ending, this is the best season of his career. All-NBA, yeah. engaged in defense, had 71 in a game, was the best guy in the Cavalier, and I, I don't think there's any questioning that. No, it was his best regular season he's had. Um, and I think, again, that's just crazy because of how successful he was during his time with the Jazz and just how pretty rock solid, at least his regular season body of work had been for Utah leading up to this point. Um, it's just like, yeah, like, there is the stink of how the season ended for him. But like you said, all NBA honors. Um, he was named an all-star starter for the first time in his career, which is still like wild for me to think just because of how massively popular he is. Uh, just in terms of like NBA fans in general. And then, like you said, he was engaged on defense. The 71-point explosion, still one of the most breathtaking NBA individual like single-game performances I've ever seen. Um, just he, like I, I said, like it, there's moments throughout the regular season where you're thinking like, okay, maybe the Cavs didn't give up enough for Donovan Mitchell because he was everything that the Cavs had hoped for in terms of just like what he brought to the table in terms of regular season success. And I think that's just maybe me looking at the glass half full, full here is just like, okay, there's a lot of good to work with. Now you have to iron out the kinks to figure out how to get through some of the bad that uh, happened this season. But yeah, there's a lot of just good that happened, at least during the regular season for Mitchell with his uh, in his first year at the Cavs. I think if I were to come, like create a story around last season and like myth make it a little bit, the way I would talk about it is as I think this is someone who came in really motivated and with a new energy, or at least a different mm-hmm. energy than he ended Utah with, and he elevated himself to this higher, new world level for himself after the way things in Utah ended. I think that is all very true, and I, I we'll talk about like where he's going in in the episode that comes out uh, on Friday. I think he's in like a very similar place again right now, and then it just it so there's that, and then it just comes back to the playoffs, and and Evan, I. I we had this in segment one and I'd be curious to see like what he would have to say like right now or like what he would have said in July or what he'll say at media day in, in like a month. I would guess that Mitchell will like look at last year and at least like publicly in, in the way that athletes sort of do be like, yeah, like none of that matters. Cause I didn't like actually win anything. I, I wonder mm-hmm. like where his head is at with some of this as we, as he looks back on last year and, and how when it, and how he feels about it too. I, I think how he fits in this organization is like he would. He was kind of like the face of the like he was the face of the team last year in a real interesting way. amid all of this, he was the face of the team. I think more than anything, one because of the star power and just the name brand that can't, comes with Donovan Mitchell when you or when you uh, acquire like a shiny new toy like that if you're the Cavs. But more than that. Um, it's just like the Cavs have three pretty soft-spoken, reclusive kind of guys at the top for them before Donovan Mitchell got there. So it was just kind of like a hand-in-glove fit in terms of just finding the face of the team. This is a guy who's outspoken. He's very active in the uh, black community and just outspoken in that regard too. But and there's a lot of just good things that come with Donovan Mitchell off the court. And I think just also there's a lot of just good that came with him on the court too for the Cavs this season. And like you said, um, I'm curious to see what his mentality is now that he's been healthily early and healthily, but like just decently removed from the end of this season. Like, what is his mentality and his mindset? Because like you said, heading into this year, he was definitely motivated. I think a change in or sorry, last year, um, he was definitely motivated after just like a flame out against the Mavericks and Jalen Brunson, funnily enough. But like also just like a change in scenery does good for 
any player uh, once they're kind of like hitting the apex because like that jazz team just did not like each other towards the end. So I think it was just best for everyone for him to move on and he ended, in that, ended up in an ideal situation. And I'm curious to see what is his motivation, what is to push him because we, we touched on this a little bit just about what can the Cavs do internally to improve. Donovan Mitchell is starting to hit maybe what his proverbial ceiling is as a player like what more can he do to elevate this Cavs team so that they don't have another first round flame out like this or what can he do to elevate and push his teammates so that when he does hit his limit the younger guys that are behind him keep carrying the seam further and further because last season there was a lot of moments where this Cavs team could only go as far as Donovan Mitchell could carry them and I think going forward now like the interesting thought exercise is yeah, it's going to be a lot of how far can this team go with Donovan Mitchell, but how far can this team go with Donovan Mitchell and his younger teammates that he maybe has to like equip to equip or just at least give a better understanding of what to do when he does hit that proverbial ceiling of his. So to end on last season a little bit, there I think there are two moments that will stand above the rest as far as like things that for him really popped. I would say it's number one, the fact that we scored 71 in a game and the number two, the whole Dylan Brooks incident. Those are the two mm-hmm. things that will like forever be etched from that season. I'll go first to give you a hint to think about it, but do you have like another moment or a play that sticks out to you? I, I was rewatching some highlight clips to, to kind of get in the headspace of this episode. There's an alley-oop from a game sometime in like December uh, where Gary's Garland found him on the fast break, like on the fast break. They're just thrashing the wizards and he mm-hmm. goes out and gets this. And it was like, dang. And then I also think of the block he had. I don't remember if it was the, the 71 point game that the other thing that played stuck out was he had a block in Ayu Desuma where he straight up just like played rim protector and like he had rotated back towards the rim and like was the one blocking the rim again. It's on a six one guard. So it's not like he's out here like stuffing Rudy Gobert or like, mm-hmm. Joel Embiid or something but he was like playing defense and it's like oh he's like actually he cares and like that that kind of stuff popped for me with Mitchell a ton last year is there anything else that that kind of pops in your mind when you think of him or like a a move that he had or anything just watching him up close a ton well you mentioned the the defense that block I was definitely something I was thinking about I'm like yeah those are moments where Quinn Snyder is punching air because Donovan Mitchell is really trying on defense which is a weird thing to say because the onus around him coming out of Utah was that he's uh, all offense, no defense, even though at command of Louisville, he is more so known for his uh, defensive upside. But for me, it's a it's just like the amalgamation of things. I think, again, I, I said this a lot. I wasn't staying up to watch the Utah Jazz all 82 games. If they're on national TV and Mitchell was like going off, like, yeah, I'd tune in and pay attention to it. But like the full body experience of like what Donovan Mitchell is is like holy cow the Cavs have like a bona fide superstar in front of him it's the first time they've had one since 2018 when LeBron obviously LeBron's at a different level but like it's the first time they've had something like that since LeBron but like moments for me like that really stick out I'm like this dude is just like wired differently and like is willed to like help this team win is like moments where he's crashing the glass or you see him grab like an offensive rebound where he uses his athleticism and strength to like beat out guys that are just like absolutely bigger than him. like i know mitchell robinson isn't like an example of it but like it was like the game against rudy gobert when they played the timberwolves for the first time like he was crashing the glass and like eating up boards and like i asked jared allen like have you ever seen a 6-1 guy do that he's like no but donovan mitchell's just like wired differently and like he plays like a big man sometimes and he's just like 
I don't know. It's just like that whole body experience. And like you highlighted some of the plays, like whether it's the block or just the whole 71 point game, like the offensive board that was eventually called a lane violation, I think, or whatever, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, the two minute, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the two, on the two minute report that allowed for the 71. Yeah. Yeah. Either way, like it just plays like that. You're like, this dude is just wired differently. And it really crystallized like to me that like the Cavs have acquired a super, a quote unquote superstar that can, do things that just they haven't experienced in such a such a long time the other thing i will say that i would if you go watch highlight to master watch him this year that i think really pops for me with him is his core is kind of ridiculously strong some of the stuff he does he's huge. i don't think it's pot well it, it's he's, he's really he's, strong he, but it, he, he's like a he's, he's beefy well, but, it, but I'm way. specifically, yeah, but I'm specifically saying his core for him, like there are things that he does with the ball in his hands where his handle is not like your traditional, like Kyrie kind of just like bag of tricks. One of the things that mm. works with his dribble is he's able to bring the ball up really high because his obliques and his core are so strong and he ba- pairs it with the explosiveness and it, it it allows him to like keep the ball away from defenders and it's like, that's something that when you see it over and over again, at least for me, it just pops it's like oh this guy is in the center like his center of gravity for a for a guy for a guard is like kind of ridiculous for a guy that doesn't have like the the classic elite handle the handle is accentuated because he has this explosiveness but it's also this strength that radiates all right third segment let's talk a little about the guys that went out we're going to talk about the draft picks come friday but let's talk a little about colin sexton ochai abaji lowry marketing is the, are the Cavs missing anything by not having these guys instead of Mitchell? We'll talk about that coming up next. All right. Let's start with Colin Sexton because I think, unfortunately, because of his injury situation. It, also, we forgot. Also, I have the highlight reel playing right now. I, I guess I just forgot. And the, the dunk came up. Do you remember when he posterized Yusuf Watanabe? Yes. I... That, kind of feel like I should have brought that one up if I'm being honest. So that that dunk stole so much momentum. Uh, like like you definitely thought like okay the Cavs are out to like kill the Nets and then they kind of scraped through that game. But um, not to steal that dunk's thunder, but like the Isaac Okoro game winner from that two game set in Brooklyn is like the yeah, play the end that of the I year. think of like when they were out playing that back to back. But yeah, that Mitchell dunk like. It gets kind of buried a little bit because there's just so many hype plays. Like you said, like there's a, there's a lot to go through when you just break down this regular season for him. All right, so Sexton, injured last year, was obviously injured his last year in Cleveland. It's been kind mm-hmm. of a hold for him. I think, look, I would say that I think there's a, a lot of good still to come from Colin Sexton's career. I don't know if that's in Utah. Like the, there's been chatter that they might trade him. You know, he only appeared in 48 games last year, came off the, you know, was like came off the bench 15 times, played 11 the year before. It's been a tough two year run for him. He's still, he's 24. He'll be he'll turn 25 in January. So I, I would expect more positive for Sexton, but like you got Donovan Mitchell for him. Like, duh. Like, I'm sorry, but like that's still the reality here. That's still a, a, a good part of this. I mean, Colin Sexton showed what he's probably most effective as as a player at like, what he is skill set wise is as like that six man, I think he did a lot of good things. I think just showing the fact that he's healthy and able to play because um, reports after the fact uh, definitely alluded to that, like the knee injury is a little bit more serious than initially perceived when it came to uh, the, the meniscus tear that he suffered while at the Cavs. And 
the fact that he was able to play, like you said, only 40 games, maybe some of that was like strategic uh, tanking on the Jazz's part as well, since they went from like one of the hottest teams in basketball to like flatlining pretty quickly. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, Sexton, like you said, probably won't finish out like his extension that he signed with the Jazz with the Jazz. The way it's structured is pretty, I mean, like friendly in terms of just like piecing it together for a trade. And the fact that Utah just extended Jordan Clarkson, a guy who has a lot of skill set similarities and is starting ahead of Sexton right now at the two guard spot, or at least at least on paper is the starting two guard for the Jazz right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like he was a good pick for like the eighth overall pick. Um, there was definitely going to be like a little bit of like, oh, what could have been if the Cavs had taken like Mikhail Bridges or Shea Gilgis Alexander? Sure, um, but Colin Sexton was a fine pick for the Cavs. Um, he worked out nicely and ended up being a bit of a trade chip for them in the end because ultimately that's what he's going to be until maybe he finds a spot where he can just really settle into a role but the first step for him was just showing that he's healthy and sure he played a limited 40 games at least he showed that he is able to provide meaningful basketball when he's on the court yeah but uh yes sir just definitive yes or no there's not like anything missed here i think by including him in the mitchell no. trade, right like there's no. not I, there's no. no regrets there no you had you 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 so if you're swapping Colin Sexton for Donovan Mitchell, you're getting a lot less production for sure. But like, yeah, you you crystallize like the permanent answer, the two guard spot next to Darius Garland, and like people will say like, oh, Colin Sexton and Donovan Mitchell have similar games. Like that's super disingenuous to how good Donovan Mitchell is, and I think unfair to what Colin Sexton is as a player. Um, so yeah, like there's no regret. Okay, let's Ochai Abaji. I in watching some Utah at the end of the year, I think he came on really nice. I I think ultimately, like I wonder if there's a world where like you could have like haggled and like kept him out because you gave them all this other stuff anyway. I get why he's in the trade ultimately. Would have been nice to take on him, but it's also not a deal breaker. You know, I like as as playable and useful as he was towards the end of the year Utah. I don't know if he's like changing anything for you in the playoffs against the Knicks. So it's just like. Mm-mm. The idea of Abaji's nice. We'll see what he looks like in year two. Maybe he gets more minutes. He he maybe has a factor on Sexton's kind of role in Utah as well with some overlap there. But like again, it's his idea of someone in the Cavs went for someone who's like made All NBA. Like th- that that's not really a question to me. Yeah, like you said, it's the idea of Ochai Abaji making a lot of sense in this Cavs team. It's a three and D wing. Um, he's a rookie. He was a senior command at Kansas, so maybe his ceiling isn't as high as like other rookie prospects but like you look at how jb bickerstaff operates as a coach he's not really one to like just hand over minutes to a young player unless it's like transcendental like evan mobley or something like that but also would abaji have cracked cleveland's rotation come opening night or middle of the season like maybe he does string together some nice games and get minutes but like does he get consistent minutes i i don't know because you have isaac okoro you have karis levert like ahead of abaji on the pecking or at least in the proverbial pecking order and also jb bickerstaff has familiarity with them and like you said i'm curious to see what he does become as a player the idea of him did make a lot of sense for cleveland last season but again he may not have been a guy that like even was in the rotation if he was with Cavs uh come postseason time and maybe it's just like like one of those random things where like jetty osman got random minutes it, it, that'd be like a similar situation to what abaji may have found himself in if he was still with cleveland uh, last one is the both figurative, figurative and literal biggest one that's Larry Marketing. 
this is like a complicated web for me a little bit because like I still don't think like he should hold up the trade, but there are there are three pillars to this that I think like unlocked him in Utah that I don't really think would have happened in Cleveland. Number one, Utah he just got to like kind of cook in a, in a stress free situation in a expectation free situation that allowed for what we saw with Markin last year. Number two, Will Hardy's a great player development coach that I think really unlocks some things. And number three, like. He just—I don't think anyone totally knew that that was there. Like, did Cleveland miss the spacing? Yes. Did they miss his ability to hold up defensively as a three? Yes. Do I think they like haven't quite figured out like how to replace him and Kevin Love's rebounding and some of the spacing they provide in like one player so far? Yeah. Like, I think that's that's clearly like a roster hole. But like, that wouldn't have stopped me from giving him up to get Donovan Mitchell. Like, I. Like in a vacuum, would I probably have preferred to trade Karis Levert instead of Larry Marketing? Yes. Is that a realistic thing? Absolutely not. That was never going to be a real thing. No. And to your point, let's just say the Cavs did flip Karis Levert over to Utah instead of Larry Marketing. You're not getting that same level of production no. that Marketing had of the no. Jazz because he'd be the fourth or fifth option on offense any given night because he's playing behind Garland, Mitchell, Allen, and Mobley in the starting lineup. And like you said, like they miss his rebounding. They certainly miss the spacing, at least the theoretical spacing he provides um, because he could would benefit as a fifth option in terms of just three-point options or shooting. But you're not getting that production because he was given the freedom and luxury to do whatever he wanted in Utah, like you said. like They let him cook. They let him be the number one option for the Jazz, I think. He did benefit from maybe playing more of the power forward spot traditionally instead of just having to be uh, on the wing on either end of the floor. But it's interesting to see uh, what he can be. Um, I know people are like, oh, he was an all-star. He put up career numbers. But like you, you gave a lot of the proper context to why he was a lot of those things for the Jazz this season. And you wouldn't have gotten that same production if you subbed Levert in his place. And yeah, there, there's things the Cavs certainly miss with him, but... He was probably the biggest piece other than all the draft picks that the Jazz got that Utah was probably looking at because we talked about how Mitchell needed a new situation. Marketing is a good example of a player who needed a new situation because like it just wasn't working for him in Chicago. He needed to move on from it. Got a nice little palette reset and cleanse with Cleveland and then kind of parlayed that into a new opportunity with the Jazz. And now like it's just going to get better and better for him, hopefully, because he isn't in a situation that is ideal for Larry Markkinen. All right, let's end there. Coming up on Friday on September 1st, our third pod of September is going to be all more about Mitchell, where he's going, his contract situation, and we'll make some predictions, put ourselves on the record about what's going to happen with Mitchell. Tune in for that. We'll talk to you Friday. Thanks again to Jake Stevens for producing.